0: Did you hear, Doug, the last man, did you hear him say that he began to understand his recovery? You know, that's, that's, that's a major part of the journey, is to get with someone, group of people, get into an experience where you begin to understand your recovery is possible and what's involved. He made the statement, he said it has impacted his family, in a wonderful way there is something better for you no matter what your issue might be and you can find that something better at celebrate recovery on friday night you can read in your message map there's a little article about that and we invite you to come and be a part of celebrate recovery this is the 4th sunday of the month or the last, and and we are going to receive what we call touch someone's life gift Okay, it's explained in your message map. We don't normally pass anything to take offerings. If you give an offering a connection, we just put it in the box in the back. But on this fourth Sunday, we've been doing this now for some months now, we just r- going to pass some popcorn bags, and we ask you just to put an offering in there if you want to. Okay, we're not asking for anything large. It's all of ours together. At the end of the worship then... Uh, that offering will be brought back and given to me and I will give that bag to somebody here and your purpose then is to take that bag this week and to just touch someone's life with it. It's not for Connection's purpose. uh, It's not for your purpose. It's just to let us, let you experience what someone's going to feel whenever you touch their life by giving them a gift, a financial gift. And uh, uh, if if you don't want to give, don't give. If, you're, if, if this is your first Sunday connection or you're not a regular connection, just watch the bag go by. Just pass it on. Don't, don't even feel compelled to give. Uh, if you've read the back of the message map, we don't, we don't even take offerings to try to make people feel compelled to give. The people who consider connection where they want to attend, where they want to be involved with, we're asking those people to be a part of this. Okay, I'd like for the lead team, if you would, to to get those bags out and pass them. When it comes to you, just pass it on down to end the row. Lead team somehow will take care of that. And then they're going to take those bags out and they're going to count that money so they can come back in and give it to me. If you write a check, the check will be kept until next week so our treasurer can record that. That's the only way we can record if you gave given this gift is through a check, okay? So uh, please pass those bags. We need to get started. Uh, we're going to, experience face down at the end of this worship. That's where we take the elements of the bread and the juice. You may call it communion. You may call it the Lord's Supper. It depends on what background you have in the Christian faith and maybe what you call it. We call it face down in a sense we present ourselves before God. Uh, There's a word in the Old Testament for worship and it means to be face down. And uh, so I just put that name on what I want our taking of the bread and element to be a time where it's not who's watching, who's doing this. It's a time where I and maybe my family join together and we are just making our commitment to God and thankfulness for what He has done through Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open them to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, the seventh chapter. Okay. If you have your New Testaments, it's page, uh, oh I don't know the page number, it ought to be about page 56, I think 55 or 56 in your New Testament if you have one of those New Testaments on the table. Uh, but uh, Luke, the 7th chapter, we're looking at Luke, I call this series uh, Luke's Gospel, checking out Jesus and that's what he's doing and Luke wasn't, a, wasn't involved with Jesus when Jesus walked on this earth. Luke has come along later, and he's seeking to find information out, and he's writing that information down, and he's delivering that information to a man by the name of Theophilus. Luke is the first book that Luke wrote. It's just a biography of Jesus' life. The second book in the New Testament is the book of Acts. He even begins that by saying, this is my second letter to you, Theophilus. And so, the second of the book of Acts. Matter of fact, Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other person. Now, I know some of you grew up and somebody told you Paul wrote more. Paul wrote more numbers of books or letters, but Luke has more information. More information in the New Testament comes from Luke, and so he is a very important person, and I think sometimes he gets slipped by because he wasn't one of the original apostles that walked with Jesus. But what's valid about Luke, again, written 20-some years after Jesus has gone back to heaven, is he's checking it out. He's just not telling about what he saw. He's gone and he's talking to people. Luke is a man of science. Luke is a physician. He's a medical doctor. And so he can ask questions where you and I today, we're told, oh, you can't believe that Bible. How do you know that's true? Luke wrote within 29 years after Jesus left this earth, he's gone to these locations. It's believed, now it's, there's, there's no record in a sense that we have written in history that Theophilus is probably the benefactor who pays for Luke to go and do this. And that is pretty good on Theophilus' part. Giving money? Okay, because look what we got out of it. The Gospel of Luke. The book of Acts. It is, it is a commitment on Luke's part. He has stepped out of his vocation. He could have stayed where he was from. He could have been a medical doctor, been—been been, have a good life, but he left that and he's traveling around with Paul. We know that. And uh, what do we get out of that? Luke giving himself physically? We get these two wonderful books of the New Testament. They, Luke and Theophilus are examples for you and I. You see, some of us need to realize God calls us to tasks that sometimes interrupts our life. And some of us, apparently like Theophilus, God has provided some income and we share that for God's work to be done. We can see that in Theophilus and Luke. Okay? So now we're in the 7th chapter, we stopped with verse 17 the last time we were together, now we're at verse 18, (coughs) excuse me, Luke 7 verse 18, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Look on the screen if you do not have scripture in front of you. It says the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. Now, my Bible reads John the Baptist, there's no denominations. In the Greek, it would be John the Baptizer. He's known as John who baptizes people. Okay? Even though it reads, the disciples of John the Baptist. It would be the disciples of John the Baptizer. Okay? It says the disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. Isn't that exciting? Look, we learned... I think in chapter 3 or 4 that John was put in jail. Herod put John in jail because Herod didn't like the things John was saying about the way people ought to live. You ever go to church? You ever get in a Bible study? You ever have some Christian share something with you that was directed towards you? I mean, God has it for you. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit make you mad? you used to just cast those people aside? Well, Herod have put John the baptizer in jail and so here is John's disciples they come and they look through the the bars of the jail and they say hey John let us tell you about Jesus wow and we just talked about that in the chapter in the verses before he's doing wonderful things Wow, he's powerful. Wow, you ought to see the crowds of people following Jesus. He's becoming very important in the lives of individuals in our, in our world, in our area. Now, now, what I want you to understand is that the followers are all excited about what's happening in Jesus. But where is John? And you've got to see that. Most of us read the scriptures and we miss the details Just to sort of say, I read the scriptures today. John is in jail. John isn't out there watching Jesus now. John is in jail. John's life is being threatened. He is probably going to have his head cut off. And it will be cut off eventually. Where would you rather be? With those disciples of John watching Jesus? Or would you rather be in jail John is in jail. Now, I want you to understand that. Hey, John, let me tell you about Jesus. Wow, you should have saw the crowd. We were on the mountainside. Wow, he must have had thousands and thousands. You know, he said, he said, John, 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 why aren't you excited? What's that look on your face, John? It doesn't sound like you're hearing what Jesus said. Or or what we're telling you? Why are you so solemn? What's going on, John? Look what happens in verse 16. So John called for two of his disciples. Hey, you and you, I want to ask you to do something for me. I trust you guys. And he sent them to the Lord. See, he sent them to Jesus to ask Him, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Now folks, that's an interesting question coming from John the baptizer. Because the apostle John who walked with Jesus also wrote about John the baptizer. And, and the one who walked with Jesus, John the apostle told us in his first chapter that, that John, or, or maybe it's a third, but early chapters, he said John pointed to Jesus. Listen, he told the people who are following him, There he is. He's the Lamb of God. You know what? Lamb of God going to be the sacrifice. Another time he says, there he is. There he is. He must increase. He must get greater. I must get less and less. See, just a little bit before, John the the Apostle told us that that John the Baptizer says, "I must testify." Him pointing to Jesus is the chosen one of God. But you know what's happened now? Listen to me. It's some time later, and things aren't going so good in life for him. He's in jail. He's in jail. Can you imagine? Here's his his disciples, his his sidekicks are coming and looking through the bars and saying, man, Jesus is something. Woo! And John's not so excited. Because what would you think? Wait a minute. I'm the guy who announced Him. I'm the guy who served Him. Matter of fact, I'm the guy who's like Him. I talk about what God wants. And I'm in a bad situation. If Jesus is so powerful, and if Jesus is all He says, who He is, then how come I'm still here? Why doesn't He get involved and do something for me? See, His feelings are just... I'm telling you folks, they're going wild. They're going off the the scale. He can't understand this. Why do bad things happen to people who love God and who honor Jesus? Why doesn't Jesus get us out of our trouble, our difficult situation? And so what he do? He, he, he says, you and you, I trust you too. I want you to come. I keep pointing up because probably those guys are looking through, if he's in a jail cell... Those guys are probably looking from ground level down on him. And so, he points to them and he says, You and you, I trust you. I want you to go and ask Jesus something. You go ask Jesus this. Now listen, this is a guy who just said, He's the Chosen One of God. Sometime later, he, earlier, he said, He said, go ask Him, Are you really the Messiah? Or do we look for someone else? Because now, when we have difficult times, our faith is shaken. Look at verse 20. John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? they are good buddies of John. they, They do what he asks. They're not even saying, He is the Messiah. We saw what he did. We saw what he did. We've seen what he said. Man, he speaks like no man has ever spoken. He's doing things that only God can do. He's forgiving sin. Man, he's... They don't... You see, because how do you help somebody who who is in a bad situation? they told they got cancer and they're going to die. And Jesus is Lord. He's the healer. And, and they're about to lose their faith. How do you help someone who, 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 who went to church for years with their mate and they loved the Lord and the mate ended up having an affair with the preacher? And they're going to lose their faith. How do you help people of faith who get in some bad situation and they're praying, help me, help me, help me, and the bad situation doesn't go away? These guys can't help John. All they can do is, is ask the question John asked of Jesus. you, you got to see this or else you lose everything that's going to be said in conclusion, which is what you and I need to remember. Now look at verse, verse 20. I want you to see that question again. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? What I like about that is that when John has doubt about what Jesus is or who He is, he asks a question. See, it makes no difference how long you've been a believer in Jesus Christ. It makes no difference how long you've been a follower in Jesus Christ. It makes no difference how long you've been going to church. It doesn't matter how much Bible you know. You see, somewhere in your life, at some time, you're going to have some doubt. And listen, the doubt doesn't mean you've lost your faith. The doubt just means you're uncertain. And you have a question. And what John does, he's not caught up in unbelief. He's just uncertain. And he's got a question. And what I like is that he asks a question. He's saying, Jesus... I'm just trying to find some clarification of what I'm to do because, man, in my mind, there's times when it gets dark down here. And I've heard what you've done. Somebody who's dead, you've freed them from that captivity. And I'll be honest with you, maybe I've been selfish, but I've asked the Father... Is it possible to free me from this cell? And I would think freeing somebody from jail would be easier than raising somebody from captivity of death. A lot of things up here, Jesus. Can you help me? See, that's all He's doing. I've met a lot of people and they get in difficulty, they just fall away. When the doubt comes, they say, I'm not going to try anymore. Now look at 21. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases and illness, and he cast out evil spirits and restored sight to many who were blind. Pretty powerful, right? See, we've got to catch this. Because sometimes in our difficulty, we just begin to doubt how powerful the Lord is. Because I can't get out of my difficulty. My family never changes. See? They don't get better. I thought you was Jesus. 22, then he told John's disciples. Now, see they've asked a question. Jesus does these miraculous things and then he told John's disciples, yes, I'm the Messiah. And you go back and tell John, I'm the Messiah. He doesn't say that, folks. He just doesn't answer it the way we like for our answers to come. Look what he says. 22, then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. Now if you've got your message map, look at the first blank, because I want to get this across. Jesus doesn't rebuke John. Let's, let's put the message map on the screen. Come on, guys. Jesus doesn't rebuke John for his question. Okay? Jesus just reminds him of what the Bible, God's Word says. And you got to hear this. Because you see, some of you keep wondering from time to time, why doesn't God give me my answer? Jesus doesn't rebuke John for his question. Man, John, you've lost your faith. You shouldn't ask those kind of questions. No, I already told you. I don't care how much Bible you know, how long you've been involved in church. There's going to be time when you're going to doubt, you're going to have your questions. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus is just... Telling him through his disciples, you go back and tell him what you've seen. And look what goes on in that verse. It goes on, 22. The blind see. Tell John the blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised to life. And the good news is being preached to the poor. Now folks, what what we don't understand when we read this quickly, just reading through the Bible, is that Jesus is quoting from Isaiah. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 35. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 61. And you see, John is a man of God. John knows the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying... Tell John what you're seeing. And when they come back and they say, listen, he never said he was the Messiah. He never devilly said he was. He said, we are to tell you what we saw. And they would tell him what he saw. Now, John was to remember what God's Word says, and then he was to say, he's the Messiah. He's everything God said. Do you understand what I'm saying? The assurance comes from the Word of God. We always want the assurance to come from a resulting action. That's not here, folks. That is not here. It comes from the Word of God. God can handle the questions about Jesus. And if you've got questions of who Jesus is, if you've got questions of how Jesus can help you, because it sure don't seem like you're getting any help, What you need to realize is that you have to admit those questions to yourself, those doubts to yourself, those concerns to yourself. You have to admit those questions, those doubts, those concerns to God. And then, then you have to be open to hear what God's Word is going to say to you. Look at the second blank on your message map. Only as you face your doubts honestly can you begin to resolve them. God's answers will come out of His Word, the Bible. Most of us stay stuck in our feelings, and if our feelings aren't placated, if our feelings aren't soothed, we just forget about God. I'm going to tell you what you do. We turn to our issues. I'm going to go, and I'm going to have another drink. I'm going to go, I'm going to take another shot of whatever makes me high. I'm going to escape, and I'm going to go shopping and spend my money. I've got to go buy A new this. i got to go take a trip here. i got to get away. And you know that's what you do. You see, because your feelings are in charge. I want you to understand, when you admit your doubts to God, you face them, then God's able to answer you through His Word. That's why sometimes you come, and maybe you haven't come for a while, and all of a sudden, on that Sunday morning, guess what? Holy Spirit's just sort of knocking on your head, saying, hey... I'm talking to you. You've had this question. You've had this doubt. And what you've got to be careful of, you say, that's my answer. But you don't keep that word. And when you get back into the world in just another hour or two hours, you soon forget that. You might remember it through the afternoon and you may say in the evening, boy, it was a great Bible study or a great lesson or a great sermon. But then tomorrow you begin saying, what was that sermon about? And you got away from the word. Jesus didn't say to John's disciples, yes, I'm the Messiah. He says, you go back, you tell him what happened in my life, and John would then connect with the Word. And so the next time he's in the jail cell and he's starting to feel this this troubled feeling, (coughs) excuse me, he recalls what Isaiah said the Messiah would be doing. Look, it goes on. Jesus adds one more thing, 23. And tell him, In other words, tell John this. Look what he says. God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. Now, that's that's the conclusion. Excuse me. That's the conclusion. That's the most important statement of these few verses. God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. You see, John's doubt about who Jesus is and because he won't accept God's Word and remember it, he could say, I'm through serving Him. He's not helping me. I don't, I don't disbelieve in the Messiah, but I'm telling you, I'm just not going to keep pushing the buttons in service to Jesus. What we've got to be careful of, Jesus saying this, God blesses the person who does not pull away because... It doesn't seem like Jesus answered you, took you out of your difficulty today. And there are many people who have been in church, and even some of us, and when we have difficulty, our marriage doesn't go the way we want it. Whenever work isn't going the way we want it, when finances aren't going the way we want it, when our kids aren't behaving the way we want, it is full of difficulty. And what we do is we don't remain faithful to God's Word. God, what do you want me to do in my marriage? God, what do you want me to do at work? God, what do you want me to do with my kids? God, what do you want me to do with my parents? See, instead of getting the answer from God's Word, we just flip out and many of us go right to our issues. And we know that doesn't help us. It does not help us. And so Jesus is trying to conclude. John is the illustration. A person who believed in Jesus, who now is in a bad situation, who now because of the feelings that things ought to go... You know, if you're a Christian, Jesus, Lord, things ought to go good. And, and you know, that's the problem. Some, some TV preachers, some churches, that's, what, that's that prosperity gospel. Listen, listen, don't get me wrong. God brings blessings. But in this passage, we see John not experiencing prosperity gospel, and we're going to see he dies not experiencing prosperity gospel, and Jesus is trying to tell us something through Luke's words. And whoever Luke talked to, maybe one of the followers, the disciples of John, whoever Luke talked to, said, I want to tell you what, Jesus finally said, when he asked him, he said, Blessed God bless those people who do not fall away because of him. In other words, Jesus didn't help me, so I'm not going to church again. Jesus didn't help me, I'm not going to teach again. Jesus didn't help me, I'm not going to volunteer again. Jesus didn't help me, I'm not giving my money anymore. Jesus didn't help me, I'm not going to be regular anymore. Those people don't get their answers. God blesses those who won't fall away. Because it doesn't seem like Jesus got you out of your difficulty. Friday, July 20th, 2012. Many of us woke to the horrific news about a crazed gunman going into a theater in Colorado, killing, open fire, killing 12 people and wounded almost 60 others. The Associated Press reported about this, but what many of us may not have heard, and they wouldn't tell you on TV, was that many folks who have experienced a similar situation were ministering to those people through tweets, through, through Facebook, through blogs, and even some of them going to those people, if they would allow them. Because they understood what they were going through. The difficult situation. Listen as I read what the Associated Press reported. Anne Marie Hochhalter. Wearing a silver cross around her neck, sat in the front row of her vigil for the victims of the Colorado Theater Massacre. Her connection to those wounded in the attack early Friday at an Aurora movie theater was closer than most. Paralyzed in the 1999 Columbine Massacre, the 30-year-old Hotch said she can offer a little hope to the victims' loved ones and the survivors. I would tell them that with time it does get better, but it never goes away, she said. Other Columbine students who survived what in 1999 was the worst school massacre in U.S. history are reliving their own experiences, and they're banding together to try to help. On Facebook and by phone, they are reaching out to people who witnessed the attack. Hotchhalter and others who survived similar attacks are playing a key role in the healing process for the Aurora shooting survivors. They are reaching out, not just in sympathy, but in genuine empathy. When they say, I feel your pain, I understand your loss, the victims of the Colorado tragedy knows that they really do. Such comfort carries even great, greater weight. And listen to me. I give you that illustration. just happened a month ago. I give you this example of Jesus with John in his words. If you and I were in charge, we would have said, Jesus, why don't you go to the prison and why don't you just free him like you do in the book of Acts with Peter and James or Peter and John. Why, why don't you do it that way? And he didn't do it that way. And then he concluded, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Because it just not happen the way you think. It ought to happen because I'm so powerful. But you stay faithful. Listen, all of us are going to experience difficult circumstances. It could be that child that dies before you do. It could be somebody who is disloyal to you that you loved. It could be someone who over and over again seems to be insensitive sometimes to your feelings. And I could just give you illustration how I'm just telling you all of us are going to experience disappointment from difficult times. We must not turn away from being faithful to our Lord. We must not turn away from staying associated with God's word and God's people. We must not Let our difficulty be wasted. Do you understand me? Because difficulties come in life. Look at your next blank on your message map. Rather, we must allow God to use our difficult times to weave into us. Into us are my key words in this statement that I've written. We must allow God... To use our difficult times to weave into us a greater capacity for trust in Him. Don't fall away because He didn't seem to get your difficulty gone. And, and to us a greater capacity for trust and compassion. Because you can be sure other people are experiencing the same thing you've experienced. But their problem is they don't have any confidence in the Lord. Look what I wrote. It goes on. Then we will be equipped to comfort, console, and offer a little hope to those who are in difficult circumstances by sharing with them the things that God has taught us. Anybody who goes through Celebrate Recovery, and this is not a Celebrate Recovery sermon, but anybody who says, I went through Celebrate Recovery and it works. And they're not in Celebrate Recovery today, helping others have not, has not done Celebrate Recovery. Because Celebrate Recovery moves to the place that says people who know the victory from recovery of issues get back involved in the lives of people who are still struggling and doubt whether they can find that victory. Only selfish people want the victory themselves. We must realize when difficulty comes into our lives, we are not to turn away from Jesus. We are not to turn away from our faith. We are not to turn away from God's people. We are not to turn away from God's Word. We are to remain close to God and His Word and His people. Because God wants to use us to help others. Just like Anne Marie Hochhalter. Matter of fact, Paul wrote a verse because Paul went through difficulties himself when he sought to serve Jesus. Look on the screen. Look what he tells us in 2 Corinthians 1.4. He says, He, that's God, comforts us in all our troubles. God helps us so that we can comfort others. In other words, we can help others. God comforts us, helps us, so we can comfort others, help others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given them. I am sorry for your difficulties. Listen, some of you have given me the privilege to listen to your difficulties and to feel what you felt. And I have shed my tears, and I have prayed, and I have walked with you. But I want you to understand, the answer may not have worked out as you and I would have preferred. But we are still here today. And Jesus is still Lord today. And God's Word is still applicable today. And you keep your eyes open, and God will, if you will let Him, God will, if you will let Him use you, God will use you to console and comfort others who go through either the very same situation or situations similar to yours. Now, get back to Luke, the 7th chapter. Look at the 24th verse. Now, after John's disciples left, Jesus began talking about him to the crowd. What kind of man did you go to in the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed, swayed by every breath of wind? And of course, they're going to say, no, John was very stout. John was a man that." Stayed. He was firm. Let's just put it that way. He was firm. He wasn't weak. And some people don't like firm people. You know, some people like people wishy-washy. John wasn't wishy-washy. Verse twenty-five. Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No. People who wear beautiful clothes and live in luxury are found in palaces. In other words, John didn't hang out where we think the successful people hung out. John didn't dress like what we think successful people ought to dress like. John just didn't do it the way we think, based on our tradition, we ought to do it. In other words, John was different. That's what he's trying to say. Okay? 26. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he, that's John the baptizer, is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the Scriptures refer. Look what? When they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you. I talked about that when we started, Luke, and we met John. The Scriptures, the prophecies years ago that said that. Verse 28, I tell you of all who ever lived, look what he says, None is greater than... Than John. Okay? John may not have appeared so special. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't like somebody that really gives their opinion and sticks to their gun. John may not have looked so special. He just didn't dress like everybody else did. Okay? But he says there is none greater than John. Yet even the least, look what he says. This is, even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than John is. He just said he's greatest man. And now he says, even the person who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Now here's what he's trying or I think he's trying to say. He's trying to say this is that John doesn't even compare to those who are alive with the knowledge of what Jesus has and can do. John knows what the Bible says. But you see, there's going to be people who are going to learn about Jesus' death on the cross, Him laying in the grave, and His resurrection. John was great, greatest of those who lived before The resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus. But John doesn't even compare to what people can do who truly understand Jesus dying for people and His resurrection from the dead. That's what he's trying to tell us. John doesn't even compare. John is greater than those then before Jesus' death and resurrection. But man, what you and I have, I'm going to tell you, it's like I've said before, you get serious about your relationship with Jesus. You get serious that He died for you and He rose from the dead. You get serious about walking with Him. And if you're the only person in your family, He'll change your family over the years. He will over time. That's what Jesus is trying to tell. The, The potential... That will be available to people after he raises from the dead. 29, and when they heard this, all the people. Now look what it says. All the people, even the tax collectors, agreed that God's way was right. For they had been baptized by John. All the people, the common people, the everyday people. The tax collectors. Sometimes those people who are embodied in the minds of individuals as being the horrible ones. See, because that's what the tax collectors were. You and I don't get that, but those people understood that. Because tax collectors were the wrong people. He's trying to say, all the common people, even those that, that, that society is wanting to say aren't worth anything, believe Jesus. But look, he gives a comparison. I want to end with verse 30. 29 tells us who believes in Jesus. 30 says, But the Pharisees and experts in religious law rejected God's plan for them, for they had refused John's baptism. You see, since we've been in Luke, I've said more often than not, religion is a problem to Jesus Christ. And that's what Luke keeps telling us. Religion that is embodied in people who have to do it their way. Are you that kind of a person? Does it have to be pews? Does it have to be stained glass windows? Does the music have to be played on an organ? Does the music only have to be so loud? Does the pastor have to to present himself in a certain way that you're used to? You see, the religious, listen, the religious can be people who believe and people who don't believe. Because there's some religious people who say, I don't go to church. There can be some religious people who say, I think, I mean, unbelievers who say, this is how I practice what, what I believe about God. You see, religion forms its own way of doing things and it refuses to see things done any different. And the Pharisees were that way. John was not what they wanted to see. Jesus is going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about that next week. And Jesus was not what they wanted to see. And the, re- the religious rejected Jesus because they wanted to do it their way. If Jesus would fit into their picture of how we ought to relate to God, they'd got along. But he didn't. If John would have fit into the way they thought he was to be in relationship with God, it would have worked out. But they didn't. They justified their own point of view based upon their own attitude of what is right. Listen. People can do that who are very close to Jesus. And people can do that who are very far Je- from Jesus. Be careful that you're not that kind of person. Look at your last blank on the message map. I wrote this. They were so close to Jesus. So close to Jesus. He's right there in their presence. And yet, so far away. The truth was before them. Reinforced by God's Word. Because Jesus has just said, Go tell John what you've seen me do. Which Jesus said was a quoting of Isaiah. And yet they rejected it. They rejected that relationship. How close are you? Have we sort of connected? And yet, you're allowing your difficulties to cause you not to completely trust in Him. You see, everyone has a choice to make. And that's what, that's what Luke is telling us. In Jesus' day, they all had to make a choice. And those common folks. And those people who are embodied as being evil like the tax collectors. They received Jesus. They didn't reject Him. But those religious people. They rejected Him. Because His way was not what they wanted. All of us. Each one of us has to make a choice. Will I follow Jesus? Or will I refuse to follow Jesus? You and I have to make the choice of what we will do. Today I invite you to accept Jesus Christ as Lord of your Savior, as Lord and Savior of your life. Today I invite you to tell God you're sorry for living unto yourself. And some of you have been going to church maybe for a long time, but you've never got honest with God. It's still you're the God. You're the one who calls the shots. You need to turn to God and say, God, I'm sorry, that's sin. And I'm going to turn from that. And I'm going to follow Jesus Christ who died for me and rose from the dead for me. I invite you to do that. Now listen, when we do that, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord, one of the things He tells us that we are to do is that we are to take face down. Jesus didn't call it face down. He just said, You are to continue doing this when He took the bread and the juice until He comes again. That's what He told Him. And we are to take the bread and the juice. Why? Because the bread is to remind us that Jesus gave His body. And the juice reminds us that Jesus gave His blood. You see, God stepped out of heaven and became the Son. The Creator stepped out of heaven and became the Son and gave His body for you. <laughs> Can you believe that? And for me. And He shed His blood on that cross. And from the Old Testament through the New Testament, the Bible teaches there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. His life was given so my sins and your sins could be forgiven. When we take the bread and the juice, we are to remember that. Jesus said every follower of Christ should do that on a regular basis. Folks, you know a lot of Christian people who never ever take communion, Lord's Supper, Eucharist, or face down. Whatever its name may be. Followers of Jesus are to do what we're going to do today. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, I invite you to join us. I'd like those people who are going to serve to come and take your places. We're going to have two, two groups. Okay? And you come in a little bit. And you just pull the bread off, dip it in the juice, and you can take it back to your seat or you can eat it right there. But when you do, we're doing this not for show. We're doing this to call attention in our minds that even as difficult as life may be and as hard as sometimes it is to understand it all, I know Jesus died for me and through Him my sins are forgiven. I invite you to come and take the elements. You come when you're ready.